this money was invested. It was an eternal investment because she used it as a form of worship. Would you mind um, just turn to Mark chapter 14? So Mark 14, and we'll be uh, continuing our narrative for today from verses 4 to 9. Last week, Mark drew a portrait for us, and it was Mary, the sister of Lazarus and Martha, and, and he drew this wonderful portrait of Mary and her relationship with Jesus Christ. And he painted it with wonderful colors of devotion and love. And the backdrop of this portrait is that black velvet of hatred of those self-righteous religious leaders towards Jesus Christ. And they plotted to kill him in the dark, away from the multitude, so to maintain their status quo, their prestige and respect before men, because they loved the praise of men. They loved to walk around with a halo around their head. But he lies at the bottom corner of this portrait, right at the feet of Jesus, this insignificant woman, Mary, with her hair rubbing his feet, anointing Jesus with an 80 grand worth of oil. Such deep devotion, extravagant love that Mary had towards Jesus. And it certainly deserves that we go deeper in understanding more of what Mary is like so that we would imitate her, we emulate her, that we would have her heart of worship towards Jesus Christ. But before then, we need to read the passage before us so that we would look through this wonderful window, this passage before us, what Mary is like so that we would be like her. So we'll start reading from verse 1. Now the Passover and unleavened bread were two days away, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to seize him, that is Jesus, by stealth and kill him. For they were saying, not during the festival, otherwise there might be a right of the people. And while he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume, of pure nard. And she broke the vial and poured it over his head. We'll continue in verse 4 now for this message. It says, But some were indignantly remarking to one another, Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii, and money given to the poor. And they were scolding her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. 
For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you wish, you can do good to them, but you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Now, as Mary interrupted the fellowship, and she broke this alabaster vial and poured it on Jesus' head, and as she was wiping Jesus' feet, you can just imagine at that time, silence was deafening. All eyes are cast upon Mary. People sitting around Jesus would have, wouldn't have been able to ignore Mary. You couldn't pretend everything was normal and you just continue chatting. No way. Now, each guest had to come up with his own conclusion. What do you think of what Mary did? Was it a good thing? Was it a wise thing for her to do what she did? Was it value for money? None of us can look away and bury our heads in the sand. We either have to reject what Mary did, completely deny it, and say she's been, she's a fool, or we follow her footsteps. And Mark is pressing upon all readers throughout all ages and even in this room to ask themselves soul-searching questions. If we were there, would we have seen our knees on the floor and arm's length away from Jesus' feet? Would we have had our possessions liquidated? And, and our hair on his toes? Or would we have disagreed with Mary? And we must ask these soul-searching questions. How devoted are we to our Lord Jesus Christ? How much do we really, really love him? Well, for the disciples, the answer to those questions were crystal clear. We'll start reading from verse 4. It says, But some were indignantly remarking to one another, Why has this perfume been wasted? Who are these some? Well, in Matthew 26, verse 8, it says, But the disciples were indignant. So Matthew, in the parallel account of Matthew, it makes it clear that it was the disciples. Now, the Gospel of John goes even deeper than that. And he tells us in John 12, verse 4, that it was Judas Iscariot, this money keeper, who will soon betray the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he's the one that stirred the pot. He's the one that instigated the revolt. And, and when we stitch all the pieces together, what we come up with is that this Judas Iscariot, this false convert, this phony disciple of Jesus, he poisoned his gullible disciples, naive. And he led them into this evil path of harsh, cruel judgment upon Mary. 
indignantly. This word means enrage. They were furious with Mary. While Mary was in this all-blessed calmness, quietly in, in communion with our Lord, the disciples were so insensitive to their sister in Christ. And they didn't even know it. And they joined the betrayer of our Lord and they fired their ammunitions on another believer. And we continue, it says, they were asking, why has this perfume been wasted? So they concluded with Judas that her worship of Christ was a waste of money. How come? Continuing on, and it says, for this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii. Now, John 12, verse 4, it tells us that it was Judas that gave this response. Judas, who knew the price of everything, but he had no idea the value of anything. He pulled out his calculator or the iPad of the ancient Jerusalem time. And then he started punching in numbers in it. You know, checking, uh, doing some Google search, how much the ointment cost and how much the marble cost, looking to the Jerusalem eBay and finding out what it is. And, and then he says to the rest of the disciples, well, here is the price of this marble bottle and there's a decent volume of the oil, pure nard. And then he says that it says there might have been sold for how much? Notice the word over. 300 dinar, not just 300, but over. Here, have a look, disciples. Uh, even after you take into account the Passover feast sale two days away and, and the Romans tax, let's incorporate that. You can easily, bare minimum, get 80 grand. Here is Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, you guys do the maths. You know how to do maths. And then I looked at the numbers. Yep. Makes perfect sense. Couldn't fold Judas. Well, Judas, well, what do you think you would do with the money? When he says there, and the money given to what? To the poor. Well, if you recall the miracle um, of feeding the multitudes where uh, Jesus fed 5,000 men plus women and children, um, Philip said to Jesus to feed this multitude, 5,000 men, women and children, we need 200 denarii. Well, you do the maths. This bottle is worth 300 denarii. I mean, think of the possibilities. Think of the amount of empty stomachs that you could feed. It's crazy, right? So it makes sense, Judas and the rest of the disciples to be enraged against Mary because of what she did, right? Wrong. How come? Well, John, in his gospel, he pulls the veil from Judas' heart and he tells us the reason why Judas was angry. 
In John 12, verse 6, it says, Now he, that's Judas, said this, not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. Poor? What poor? Judas was a thief. He couldn't care less about the poor. He just wanted to be 80 grand richer. That's what he wanted. It wasn't, it wasn't a displeasure of a good Samaritan that loves to feed the poor. No, it was the rage of a thief who couldn't get what he wanted. And he masqueraded it to be a displeasure of a good Samaritan. It's unsatisfied, unmet greed that dressed up in a form of godliness. Brothers, be aware of this. Watch out from having in our own heart wickedness, lustful desire, wanting control, wanting more lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and yet masquerading these evil desires in a form of godliness. Watch out for this. Well, for, Paul, for, for Judas, well, he was disappointed. And he kind of whispered in the ears of the disciples saying, you know what, I'm, I'm just displeased with Mary because I love the poor. I want the poor to be fed. Really now, Judas. And the tragedy, the tragedy was that all the disciples bought into this lie. And and he cleverly drove a wedge between the disciples and Mary. Now there is a division among the brethren. And this division has been brought in by a false convert, a phony, a pretender. Someone who claimed to be a disciple of Jesus when in reality he was not. So much that it says there, and they were what? Scolding her. The word scolding here, it it carries with it intense angry feeling. It means to to, to snort, literally, to snort like like an angry horse or to roar like a a vicious lion. And, And please note, the imperfect tense, it doesn't say they were, they scolded her. No, they were scolding her. They kept on rebuking her harshly. So while the aroma of Mary's love for Jesus was filling the room, these disciples, their anger was filling their hearts and it was swelling up and it burst out onto Mary and they were all barking at her like wild dogs. Scolding at her, meaning they were yelling at her, screaming at her. One, one might have been saying, Ah, oh, well done. Congratulations, Mary. All that is now left of this 80 grand is a shattered, useless bottle. You, you're, you're an irresponsible woman. Another would say, Ah, oh, what's wrong with you? 
Well, why are you being so unloving to the poor? You, you, you're reckless with your money. Well, we haven't seen a woman as stupid as you. Are well done for wasting all your possessions. Scolding, rebuking, telling her off harshly. And somehow they're condemning an embittered spiritual um, attitude was rightly justified because they cared for the poor. Hogwash. And Jesus will correct him now. Because while Mary was feeling condemned, Jesus will do what Jesus loves to do, to defend the defenseless. And so he rises up for rescue. Now the king has spoken, and it says this, let her alone. Meaning back off, stop in your tracks. You're dead wrong in this one, disciples. And he says, why do you bother her? The implication here is that as they were scolding her, they were bothering her. And basically Jesus was saying to them, hey, listen, there is no glory in what you're doing. Get off her case. Stop giving Mary hard time, guys. Then Jesus gives Mary a tick of approval and he says, she has done a good deed to me. Don't you love that? Isn't it beautiful? She has done a good deed to me. Wouldn't we love hearing the Lord Jesus say that about us? That we have done a good deed to the, to the Lord? When the whole world is scolding us and even other churches give the Lord the bare minimum. Don't we love it if our Lord would say, Saving Grace Bible Church has done good deed to me? Why do you bother Saving Grace Bible Church? I, I don't know about you, but I would love to hear that from the mouth of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm sure all of you do. Well, what does it mean that she has done good deed to the Lord? What does it mean? Why did Jesus say that? I mean, didn't she really waste 80 grand, even though the disciples were wrong and they shouldn't have scolded her? They were sinning before the Lord. But it doesn't take away the fact that she's, she was a fool, right? 80 grand has been wasted completely in one single moment, in one event. 80 grand? She shouldn't have done that. Come on. Get over it, Mary. Don't, don't, don't be so over the top. Jesus now will explain that it wasn't a waste. He starts in verse 7 with the word for. The reason why it was a good deed for. So Jesus now is about to give us compelling reasons as why. No, it's not a waste even when it was 80 grand spilled to the ground. It was not a waste. No, on the contrary, it was a good deed for. And we will look now. The first compelling reason is priority. Mary had the right biblical 
priority. We need to understand that God's priorities are not the same as man's priorities. It goes without saying. God's way is not the same as man's way. His thoughts, his mission, his values, everything about God is contrary to man's views. So Jesus says here now, that's the first reason for you always have the poor with you and whenever you wish, you can do good to them, but you do not always have me. There's always a poor man around. If, if you want to help a man, you'll, you'll find him. At any time, whenever you feel like it, there is always a hungry person to feed. But how long am I staying with you for? Just a few days. So please note, Jesus here is not again as feeding the poor. No way. We just said earlier that he fed multitudes of people. So he's not again as feeding the poor. That's not the issue. The, the, the issue is not about whether to, to, to serve the poor or to serve Christ. No. The issue is about always. You always have the poor, but you don't always have me. And Mary knew this. Mary knew she had a short window of opportunity. And she thought, how do I magnify Christ more? What's the best way to magnify Christ this moment, irrespective of the cost or the outcome? What is the best way strategically right now to magnify him? And Mary was an opportunistic. She had the right priority. And her view was this, adoration for Christ comes before even serving for Christ. Yes, the second greatest command is to love your neighbor as yourself. But what is the first and greatest command? It is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And Mary had her life in order. She was climbing the Christ-centered ladder of importance in her life. She loved God more than man. Devotion to Christ came before deeds for Christ. Worship came before work. Jesus said once about her in Luke 10, 42, that Mary has chosen a good part which shall not be taken away from her. She was a woman of devotion. Brothers, we must understand this, that true worship Devotion of the entire heart, this deep intimacy and adoration of the Lordship of Christ is so much of a higher priority than service. Even if it was a gracious and honorable deed as even feeding multitudes of poor people, thousands of them, to God it doesn't come even close to a humble, loving devotion to Christ. This, this applies to every single one in this room. Worshipping Christ is to be of the highest of all priorities in our lives. 
Jesus never said to the Samaritan woman that God is seeking those who are true servants. No, he said the Father is seeking true worshippers, not true servants. And God that moment found a true worshipper. Mary. John MacArthur, he comments on this and he says it is a danger. Even for people who love Christ, that we not become so concerned with doing things for Him, that we begin to neglect hearing Him and remembering what He has done for us, we must never allow, listen to this, we must never allow our service for Christ to crowd out our worship of Him. The moment our works become more important to us than our worship, we have turned the true spiritual priorities on their heads. Worship of Christ comes first all the time, every time. Everything else is way too secondary. What about good deeds? What about acts of kindness? Aren't they important? Of course they are. Absolutely. But if good deeds are not done out of devotion for Christ, if they're not done to the glory of Christ, then for whose glory are they done? If if they're not done in order to magnify the name of Christ, because I have spent much time wrestling with Christ, loving Christ, if they're not done for that purpose to magnify the name of Christ, then whose name would they be magnifying? Our names. How different would we be from our next door decent atheist neighbor? Who does good to people? No. For any deed to have eternal value, it must flow out of a heart that prioritizes the worship of Christ above all. Devotion to the Lord of Christ over all. The primacy of Christ before all. That's the good deed. That's the good priority that Jesus commands. As I was preparing for this message, I was reading a commentary and one of the commentaries, it says this as a means of application for this point so we can move on. It says, worship of God precedes all acts of love and gives them meaning and purpose. Then he goes on and he says, open your heart to God and God will make your acts of charity pure joy. So the first reason why Mary did a good deed to the Lord is because she had the right priority. This money was not wasted. This money was invested. It was an eternal investment because she used it as a form of worship. Second reason why Mary, what she did was a good deed was because Mary was radical for Christ. 
She was a Christian version of extremist. We read verse 8. It says, she has done what, what? What she could. She has done what she could. How do you feel when you have this in your headstone when you die? Here is a man who did what he could for Christ's sake. Then he died. What a beautiful statement to have in your headstone. I believe, I mean, you can research this if maybe I'm wrong, but I believe one of the singers, the one that said, uh, that came, um, uh, that authored the song, uh, Jesus is Mine. She was blinded, right? Um, and uh, she has this in her headstone. She has done what she could. Now, what does it mean she has done what she could? It means that she spent herself to the uttermost. Literally, in Greek, it would read like this. It, it would be saying, what she has, she has done. What she has. All that she had, she's done it. Mary poured out everything she had, the whole of her livings, onto Jesus. Mary didn't give out of her abundance. She didn't say, oh, I'm going to give Jesus the cream on top and I'll keep the cake to myself. She didn't say, you know what, I'm going to give him a little bit of pure nod and I'll keep the rest for myself. No. Mary gave all her riches, the most precious, the most valuable. She didn't hold back any drop. She didn't pour the oil begrudgingly. No. She did it voluntarily. She didn't think... Oh, uh, what would people think if they see me uh, washing Jesus' feet with my hair? Uh, that'll mess up my hair if I wash it with, if I wipe it with my hair. I'll wipe his feet with my hair. Oh, you know what? I'll do this. I'm just going to wipe his hands. She didn't say that, right? Mary got all she had and poured all the oil in all of Jesus. Then she got all her hair and she wiped both of his feet. Mary was a spiritual zealot, a radical fundamental in her devotion for Christ. Mary was an extremist in her affection for Jesus. There is no complacency in her love, no tolerance in her worship. There was no second thought in her commitment. She was all in, sold out completely to Christ. And so Jesus loved that about Mary. And so he says she has done what she could. She completely exhausted herself. She couldn't go anywhere beyond that. She reached her limits. Now, why does Jesus love that about Mary? Why? Why does he love her extremist kind of attitude? You know why? Because Jesus himself is an extremist kind of savior in his devotion to us, right? You can see that in the very next statement. It says, she has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Mary anticipated that Jesus was going to die. Uh, her extremist 
Savior was going to die and it kind of robbed on her. So she became like him. She anticipated that he will pour out his blood for her in, in that sacrificial atonement. And so she wanted to pour out her ointment as an act of sacrificial devotion. Brothers, sisters, we must be challenged by what this woman did, by her devotion to Christ. All hinges upon knowing and meditating upon the Son of God and seeing how extremist he was, how radical Christ was, even in his devotion to his people. I mean, think about it. How fundamental, radically fundamental was Christ in his love towards us. How much of our sin did he gladly bear upon his shoulders? How much of God's wrath was Jesus willing to absorb on our behalf? And how much of his righteousness that he generally wanted to impute into our account? All, all, all. And how much forgiveness did he offer us when we first believed? How much does he love us? How intimate does he want to be with us? Isn't Christ so lovely in in his radical love and affection towards us? Then how could Mary or any of us respond to Christ but to be extremist in our loyalty towards him? So back to the narrative, you know, the disciples, they would scold Mary and and they would say, what about the poor? Are his wages wasted? I mean, isn't this crazy? Something is wasted in worship towards the Lord Jesus, but Mary understood who Christ was. Mary knew that the Son of Man has come in order to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Mary knew that he was worthy of all honor. So what did she do? She anointed his body in anticipation for his death. It was the custom um, in those days that people would... um, um, anoint uh, the dead uh, with spices and perfume before they bury them. And that's what she did. Brothers, our willingness to lose everything for him, our willingness to sacrifice for Christ is the right measure of how much his worth is to us. Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Just like Paul when he said, I count all things lost that I may gain Christ. The world, many churches would look down on us. They would condemn us. They would accuse us of being extremists, right? Over the top. You guys are crazy. You're going to lose a lot in just one day. 
or a, or, or a month or six months, you guys are going to lose a lot. How in God's name is it worth it? And Jesus comes along and he says, look at Mary. Look at Mary. Imitate Mary. Is it worth it? You're asking the wrong question. It is not about whether it's worth it or not worth it. The question, the right question that you ought to ask is, is Jesus worthy? That's the right question. And because you know that he is worthy, then it's always worth it, regardless of the cost. Even if it means one moment of time where we give up everything for Christ, he is worth it. You see, we need to understand something crucially important, and I believe it's infiltrating many, many churches, and I fear it may even infiltrate our own church, brothers and sisters. The world doesn't have any problem with moderate worship. They don't mind that at all. Just be moderate. Balance things around. And the world will clap their hands. They're fine with that. But let the world see a follower of Jesus Christ that is willing to give him all. And they will bully him to the ground. The world will hate that. But that's exactly what Christ wants. And that is exactly the worth of Christ. Brothers, we've got to watch out for this kind of worship where it's manageable, moderate. I can kind of control this with my own finance and my own effort and, and money and time. Where Christ, you give Christ just enough to kind of be accepted by the church community, but not too much to bear burden upon my flesh. And if I can find that balance where my flesh is pleased and at the same time I'm kind of accepted in a church community, then perfect balance. This moderation is not in the Bible. You will never find it anywhere, brothers and sisters. If that's what we're about, brothers and sisters, you know what it says in the scripture? It would make Jesus so sick that he would feel like vomiting. Because we would be neither hot nor cold. Remember this. It's kind of like Jesus would say, listen, unbelievers who want to reject me and live their way of life, okay, I get this, I understand that. But if you are a believer, then what have you got to do? You've got to carry your cross, deny yourself, and follow Jesus all the way and give him all you got. But to be complacent makes Jesus sick. No, brothers. Mary here teaches us. That God loves it. Jesus gets excited when his own children, his own followers are radical in their commitment to him. So Mary had right priority. Mary was radical in her devotion to Christ.
And another one is Mary was a hero of faith. She was a champion of love. We'll continue reading in verse 9. We'll break it down bit by bit. Truly I say to you, Jesus says, meaning pay attention to what I'm about to say, right? Underline it in your Bible. Highlight it. Open your eyes and your ears to what I'm about to say. Then Jesus continues, he says, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, that is all places, in all cultures, at all times, what this woman has done, meaning her utmost worship, her extremist devotion, will be what? Will also be spoken of in memory of her. Mary was a true soldier of Christ. And Jesus wanted to erect a shrine of remembrance in our minds for what she has done. Mary was a true warrior of faith, a gladiator in her spiritual warfare. And Jesus wants us to commemorate her sacrificial love. All times, whenever the gospel is preached. I mean, forget about the Anzac Day. This is a whole new level of remembrance, right? It's like Jesus is saying that whenever we hear the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we need to stand up and give Mary this spiritual moment of silence. Where we would cry out to God and say to God, God, let our worship, let our devotion to you be like Mary's. Imprint in our hearts the true worth of Jesus Christ. And let this worth enlarge our faith in him, deepen our love for him. So you would be pleased with our deeds. To Christ. What I want to do for the remainder of whatever, however many minutes left I've got, I want to squeeze as much holy juice out of this narrative as possible. We want to go even deeper into Mary's life. We've seen her external virtues, her um, right priorities, her extremist devotion. But I want to open the bonnet and go deeper into her heart and see beautiful things, beautiful diamonds. In Mary's heart for Christ. We want to look and reflect on Mary's heart of faith, heart of giving, heart of love in this passage. Let's examine this passage further. Mary had a heart of faith. She was a warrior of faith. And you look in verse 6, it says, Jesus says, she has done a good deed to me. Beautiful, isn't it? Again. So Jesus here, he deemed um, her deed to be good. Now we know in Romans 14, 23, it says, whatever is not from faith is sin. Right? So if her deed was done to earn God's favor, 
If it was because she trusted in her own effort to work her way up to heaven, not um, trusting in Christ, not have faith in Christ, there is no way Jesus would have commended her deed, right? But no, she has done what she could, he says in verse 8. So that means not only did she have real faith, but how great is her faith since she has done what she could. She gave it all. She sold up, she sold out, and she threw herself at the feet of Christ as to say, Jesus, I've given you everything. Now I trust in you. I rely on you to provide for me. It's not to say, please not, that every Christian must go home, transfer all his uh, finance to Saving Grace Bible Church because that's the way you show faith in Christ. There are many rich people, as we heard earlier on, um, who trust in Christ but yet have not fully transferred their money. That's okay. That's totally fine. Many in this country, but overall as Christians, there are very, very few uh, who are rich, right? We know that from the scripture. But we cannot take this away from Mary. We're focusing on Mary. And the expression she had to show her true faith is that she literally gave all she had to Christ. What about Christians? All of us. Well, our trust in God means this, that every Christian ought to live as though he owns nothing and that he signed the ownership of his life away to Jesus Christ. Why? Because faith says, I do not boast. I do not rely on my riches. No. I boast, I rely on Christ, and I'm ready to fling my possessions away because my trust is not in my possessions, but in God who provides for all my needs. And this is what living faith says. You know, when those disciples scolded her, when they were rebuking her harshly, Because she gave Christ all she had. You know what they were communicating? Perhaps there is a degree of love for the poor, but that was communicating they were not depending on Christ to feed the poor. But Mary, she she gave Jesus all she earned. Mary trusted in Jesus. If he fed the multitude once, twice, he is able to do it again. She trusted Jesus with her needs and the need of the poor. Her giving of what she could cries out, Who do I have to protect me from danger but you, God? Who do I have as my refuge in this world? The lifeguard in the ocean that is full of sharks, but you, O God, my faithful God. 
Her faith says, why should I fear even a scolding of those disciples when you are my fountain of hope? I believe that your gentle hand will hold me and your wings, your mighty wings will cover me. I believe you will not put me to shame. Why? Because I put my trust in you. God, therefore, here is all my position at the feet of Christ. So she trusted God fully. And we continue digging deeper into her heart to find wonderful jewels. And we find that she gave cheerfully. Think about her brothers. Mary, she could have pulled thousands of excuses as to why not to break this alabaster vial at the feet of Christ. She, she could have said, I'm a woman. I can't work. That's all my life savings. I guess I'm exempted. I need to save this money for the future and God will understand this. Or she could have said, you know what? I'm just going to pour half of the bottle and keep the other half for myself. And if she did that, it would have been reasonable. No one would have ever been able to blame her. But no. She didn't give half. She gave all. No way. Somebody would come and read this and concludes that she gave reluctantly, begrudgingly. No way. G Mary didn't come to Jesus dragging her feet. She didn't give him the bare minimum just to tick the box. No. She didn't hold back anything. Everything must go. As to say, all of this for you, Jesus. Brothers, this is so consistent with the scripture, if you recall. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly, nor under compulsion. In other words, when you do give, don't say, you know what, I, I really don't want to give sacrificially to God. I'd rather keep it to myself, but I guess I have to force myself. And do what I have to do. And Paul is saying, no, don't do that. It's wrong. Why? Because the continuation of that same verse says, for God loves what? A cheerful giver. God is so pleased. When our hearts are rejoicing while we give. We are the ones who loved, are loved by God. Chosen by God, justified and sanctified, forgiven by God. We are the ones who were so precious to God that he gave his only begotten son. We now no longer live for ourselves, but we're meant to joyfully live for God. And our hearts are set to please him who is so blessed. So when we give, we ought to bring a smile to the face of our God. How? By being a cheerful giver. 
just like Mary was. Why is that? Let me tell you why. Because God loves his son, Jesus. And is not Jesus a cheerful giver? Is he not the one who gave all? And when we do what Jesus does, we are becoming more like Christ. And that brings a smile in the face of God. Mary was a cheerful giver, brothers. Not only did she trust God fully and gave cheerfully, but she loved sacrificially. You know, Mary didn't trust God as one would trust in a, a glorified body God. You know, I'll, I'll give him everything and I'm willing to give him everything so that, so that he would protect me from the enemies. And when, when I have this peace of mind, I then can pursue all my flesh wants me to pursue. No. Christ was the very object of her love. I mean, think about it. If you want to show your love for Christ, what do you do? What do you do? How do you show your love for Christ? For Mary, the answer was obvious. I give him everything that I have. How come? Because in Matthew 6.21 it says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this woman, Mary, gave Christ all she had, all her treasure. And she says, to this degree, I love you, Christ. So she stands there as a perfect contrast with Judas. Judas who never loved Christ and wanted to betray the Son of God. And when he couldn't steal the money, he stirred the disciples to, to scold her. But this woman, what else could she do to show her love, her deep love for Christ, than for her to grab her alabaster vial, to crack it open, hold it upside down and pour it all on Christ's head? If this does not speak of her love for Christ, I honestly don't know what would. So in one hand, Judas is a bad example of what it looks like to love Christ. And by the way, we're going to look at him next, next time I'm preaching. We're going to examine Judas. But on the other hand, Mary is a shining example of what it means to love Christ. Brothers, as we come to the end, one thing that we need to pay attention to, one extra thing. Let's not be confused. We're not again saying that you give 80 grand and the more you give, the more you show your love for Christ. If you want to think about it biblically, true love for God is not measured by the size of the gift. Your 80 grand may not be the same value as my 80 grand. It is not the size of the gift. You know what it is? If you want to know the true measure of the love for God, it is the sacrifice that is made behind the gift. It is not the portion. It is the proportion. It is not the 80 grand, but it is what is left after the 80 grand. Do you want to know how much you love God? Don't look at how much time, money, and effort you give Him. We all have different walks of lives. 
different professions, different commitments. It is not how much time, money, or effort you give Christ. No, it is how much time, money, and effort that is remained left over. And Mary, she gave all to Christ. And this speaks of great love for God that defies logic. And when she gave all to Christ, how much is left over for her? That's how much she loved Christ. That's why Christ said, wherever the gospel is preached, this woman will be brought on display. Mary, this woman that challenges all of us, right? She does, doesn't she? I don't know about you, but she does challenge me. She had the right priority. Radical in her devotion. She trusted God fully. She gave chiefly. She loved sacrificially. And these, beloved, are the implication of the gospel. If we claim to have been born again, if we claim that Jesus Christ did indeed die for our sins, he regenerated our hearts and he caused us to follow him. And now we are committed in following him. Then we've got to grow in that path of loving devotion towards him. Amen. Well, let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your text, for your, for this wonderful narrative how we would love to see ourselves more and more like Mary. Father, we, we know that Mary only once she could do this, she could offer you 80 grand worth of oil. And you are worthy of it. But we also know that she can't do it again. But although she can't do it again, her love and her commitment to you has always been there. We trust that this would be true. Lord, we pray that we would be like Mary, that we would love you the way Mary loved you, that we would see Christ the way Mary saw Christ, that Jesus would be high and lifted up in our hearts, in our worship, in our fellowship, in our gatherings, even in our homes. And as we continue to delight in your son, Jesus, and enjoy him and struggle with life and what life brings, but yet we grow deeper and deeper in our love for Christ, let us look back. Let us check what is left over of our money, time, and effort. And we see that we are more and more having less of that because we have given most of it to Christ. And as we continue to walk in our path that is full of delight in your son, Jesus, that we come to a point where we can say we have nothing left, that we did what we could do while we were here on earth. Let us die having nothing in our pockets, but yet our hearts are full of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.